Welcome again to our weekly sermon podcast here at Epping Presbyterian Church. 大家好 ，Hello everyone. My name is Josh Ling, and I'm one of the pastors here. Every week, the Bible is read and discussed during our small groups, and then preached in a podcast for anyone and everyone who wants to know God's truth and how we are meant to live in this period of time. We are living in the end times. The end times is the period between Jesus' first coming. And his second coming, some also call this period the age of the church, as in this is the period where God's people are represented by the church. The church is the beginning of the new creation in Christ. The age of the church is a helpful description as long as we do not put too strong an emphasis on the distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's wrong to think that the Old Testament is a period of judgment and law. But the New Testament, or the period of the Church, is a period of grace. We have seen so far that the preaching of the good news of Jesus must include the message of judgment. Why a good God must create hell. Last Sunday we heard a sermon that calls God's people to come out of Babylon and be separate from her. That's a great definition for the Church. The church is a group of people who have been called out of the world by the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We're going to be thinking more about the church in this sermon. Here is an outline to show you where we are going. The church, as in the universal church that is connected to Jesus Christ as the head and captain, does four things. As a church, we worship. As a church, we wait. As a church, we serve. As a church, we go, we worship, we wait, we serve, we go. I like to lead us in prayer before we dive deeper into Revelation 19. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that we have been called out of the world to belong to you. Now teach us how we are to live as your representatives in your world. Amen. As the church, we worship the one true God. Come with me again to the beginning of chapter nineteen. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, "Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are His judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries." He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Chapter nineteen marks the end to what one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of God's wrath wanted to show the apostle John. Remember then that the angel wanted to show John Babylon, the prostitute riding on the beast. But as soon as the judgment on Babylon is complete, the scene reverts back to the throne room in heaven. And to the multitudes from every tongues, tribes, and nations, I assume that this includes the one hundred and forty-four thousand. The same mob you recall was singing the song of Moses and the Lamb. Now they are all proclaiming at the top of their lungs, "Hallelujah!" Now that's a Hebrew word which literally translated means "praise to Yahweh." Hallelujah is commonly found in the Psalms in the Old Testament. Often translated as "Praise the Lord," but in the entire New Testament, Revelation nineteen is the only place where this word "Hallelujah" is found. Not only so, 
it is being repeated four times within the span of a few short verses. In verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, and verse 6. Nowhere else in the Bible will you find such a tight cluster of hallelujahs resounding in one place. Obviously, the judgment on Babylon inspired such worship of God from the multitudes, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, that the hallelujahs were echoed throughout the throne room and into the universe. This is one great worship proclamation. The reference to Yahweh suggests that the scene here of Jesus riding on the white horse is supposed to represent Yahweh, the warrior king in the Old Testament. The worship and praise to Yahweh is once again alluded to Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That King George II stood up during the Hallelujah Chorus in Handel's Messiah would have been appropriate because indeed Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. This is what every ruler and governor should be doing in giving Jesus the worship and the honor. Throughout the book of Revelation, we have seen that worship is God-centered and Jesus-centered. It is the same again here in Revelation chapter 19. God and the Lamb is worshipped for who He is and for what He has done. Who He is, He has power and He is glorious. What has He done? He has brought salvation and judgment. That's what the worship of the church should also be about. As the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we worship. Worship proclaims who God is and what God has done through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, even before this pandemic, worship holds an important place in the life of the church. However, when we talk about worship, we often only refer to the singing, whether we prefer hymns or contemporary praises whether we choose the guitar, the drums, or the organ. In other words, we often focus on the how of worship and rarely think enough about why we worship. We worship because God is worthy, because of who He is and the mighty works of salvation and judgment He has accomplished. Singing is important, no doubt. And since COVID-19, we have not been able to do that together which is a loss that many of us feel deeply. And so we do what we can to encourage you as much as possible. And so if you're listening to this sermon through our landline, then stay on the phone after the sermon for a recording of How Great Thou Art. We hope you're reminded of who God is and how powerful He is to save you and all of us, no matter what challenges we are currently facing. And if you're listening to this sermon from our website, then let me encourage you and invite you to join our Zoom meeting. The links are now on our church website, www.eppingpresbyterian.org.au. During our Zoom meetings, we simulate the idea of singing together by muting our minds, but singing along with the recording. Now, I know it's not ideal, but it's the best we can do for the moment. Until a vaccine is found and or when the government allows closer contact, However, we must also remember that worship is more than singing. In our Zoom meetings, we do more than just sing. During our time together, we proclaim who God is and what God has done for the world. 
We do this through our conversation and especially through our prayers. Ultimately, we worship God by serving one another. The reason for joining in the Zoom meeting, if you're able to, is for the encouragement of one another, to see that all of us are still walking close to Jesus, to proclaim what, who He is and what He has done for us is a great encouragement. And this is what we can look forward to. One day, we will be able to sing again. And I'm not just referring to post-COVID when we return to our full services, but to the day when Jesus Christ, our captain, returns and we march with him under his banner of love. But for now, we wait. As the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we wait for him. As a bride-to-be waits for her husband, we wait and we remain faithful to our husband. Secondly, as the church, we want to wait. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, reading from verse 6, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. As the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we wait as a bride wait for the husband to arrive. The scene reminds me of some of the most beautiful and erotic poetry written in the Old Testament about a bride seeking and waiting in anticipation for the groom to come. In this case, the groom is also the king. Listen to this, Song of Solomon, chapter 3. All night long on my bed, I look for the one my heart loves. I look for him, but did not find him. I will get up now and go about the city, through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him, but did not find him. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not let him go, till I brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. That's the kind of love and anticipation we should wait for our husband Jesus to return. And in the meantime, we make sure that our worship remains pure. We worship Jesus and only Jesus. By now the Apostle John must have been totally overwhelmed by what he was seeing, for he makes yet another mistake. In verse 9, Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At these I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, Don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the, the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who, spe- who bears testimony to Jesus. This is the second rebuke for the Apostle John. The first one was back in chapter 17, verse 7 when John marveled at the women prostitute. Now in chapter 19, John wanted to worship the angel by falling at his feet, and he was immediately stopped. Purity of worship means that worship is directed to Jesus and only Jesus. Jesus should be the focus of all our worship. Our conversation and discussion about worship should be, should be about who is Jesus and what Jesus has done. 
His great salvation for us, His victory over His enemies. In Jesus, we take pride. It is also important, therefore, for us to realize that worship must also include discipline. Even the Apostle John is being rebuked here for the sake of maintaining the purity of worship. So let us be faithful to Jesus as we meet together. Let's make Jesus the focus of our attention. If we see another brother or sister focusing on the wrong things in worship, like the types of music we should sing, gently redirect the person to the correct focus. I'm often concerned when church members declare to me outright in the presence of other church members that they hate hymns or they describe contemporary music as rubbish. When we do that, we discourage one another. We discourage another brother or sister for whom those types of song and music reminded them of Jesus. Remember that the most important thing about worship is not the how, but the why. Or when we see another brother or sister chasing after the things in the world, then we need to speak with them to gently redirect their attention back to Jesus. In our church, the elders are there to help you with this. As of this week, all the photos of the elders of our church are on our website. The reason we do this is not for pride. An elder of the church is chosen by God to promote the health and holiness of God's church. We put our photos up so that you can approach these elders. Together we want to serve you as Jesus serves you, as your servant. So thirdly, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we serve. We serve together. Notice that the bride of Jesus, the church, is adorned in fine linen and in purity. And the fine linen represents the righteous deeds of the saints. This is found in verse 8. It was granted her, the church, the bride, to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The righteous deeds of the saints are the deeds of service we do for one another and for others. There is a reason why our church meetings are called services. The idea is not that we are here to receive the service, but that we are here to serve. There is always a danger that we behave more like customers to be served in a church instead of members of the one body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that when one part of the body is hurting, the whole body is hurting. As one body, our job is to serve one another. The simplest way we can do that is by encouragement and prayer. You know, it costs nothing to speak a word of encouragement to someone else. The time is coming when we will have to serve each other with greater love and humility. I'll say more about that later. For now, it's important to note that these righteous acts are not to be confused with Christ's righteous act of salvation. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus' righteousness. But we need to ask the question, what are we saved for? And the answer is, we are saved for Christ's righteous act to be demonstrated through our righteous acts. You know you're on the right track if your desire in any action that you do is for Christ's name to be remembered and not your name. 
Conversely, righteous acts also mean that we do not do the things that will bring disrepute to the name of Jesus. That is why it is so important for all of us to live holy and pure lives. That is why it's so important for us to be in accountability relationship to make sure that our teaching and our practice are aligned. We need to walk our talk. And then just as they say, our talk, sorry, our walk will talk. And so finally, as the Church of Jesus Christ, we go. One of the movies that shaped my entire class in the 80s was the movie Dead Poet Society. A friend of mine watched it six times. Now remember, this was before Netflix. You actually need to buy a ticket and enter the cinema in order to watch a movie. It's a movie about how an English teacher, John Keats, played by the late Robin Williams, influenced an entire class to seize the day, to challenge accepted norms that are governed more by tradition and institution than by the love for learning. He asked the students to call him, Oh Captain, My Captain, which is a quote from the poet Walt Whitman. Similarly, we are called to follow Jesus, our captain, to seize the day with him. Have a look at verses 11 to 16. It says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which he strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He threads the winepress to the fury of the wrath of the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's the captain we follow. We go where he wants us to go. We stay where he wants us to stay. And what a captain we are following. He is truly amazing. He has been called many names here. Even he has even a name that only he knows. But he rides ahead of his army on a white horse. Remember that the scene, this scene is a reminder of Yahweh, the divine warrior king in the Old Testament the king who is marching gloriously into battle. Jesus indeed is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we will follow him, we will go. And so in conclusion, how are we going to apply today's lesson in this period of the pandemic? Remember that as a church, we are called to worship, we are to wait, we are to serve, we are to go. Here are some of my thoughts. Firstly, stay connected to the main teaching and meetings of our church. Our Zoom meeting is still a long way off from being a fully functioning church service, but it is the closest we are ever going to get for a while. Remember that our worship services are not about how we are meant to worship, the style of music or the kind of instrument. Worship is, is about proclaiming who God is and what He has done in Jesus. Remember that worship requires discipline, self-discipline to start with, 
to log on at the same time each week. And then it may re- even require group discipline if we are part of a small group. We all have a choice about this. We can draw nearer or we can decide to be on the fringe. Now is the time to come back into the community of the church if this is the community you decide to commit to. And so if you're listening to this podcast from another church, that's fine too, but commit to a local church if you're able. That's the body of Christ for you. And when you learn the church, when you join the church, learn to serve. Secondly, the time is coming now when we need to serve one another. We need to pick up a towel and a bucket and it will be like what Jesus did on the night of his death. Remember that scene in John 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his home, who, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. The time has come for us to follow Jesus, our captain. In love, we are going to have to serve each other now as we make plans to return to our church ministry and church services. We're going to have to serve each other by cleaning our site each time we use the church. Now the details will follow, but I just want to plant the seed for how we are going to do this. Now we could outsource this to a cleaning company, but I'd rather take this opportunity to grow our maturity in Christ by demonstrating that we love one another. We follow a captain who although is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, stooped down to clean his disciples' feet. I don't need you to clean each other's feet unless you want to. Instead, we all have to be responsible now for cleaning our church and we do it out of love for each other and for the visitors whom we are going to invite to join us when we return to the church. Let me close with this one last thought. You know, the captain in Whitman's poem is the skipper of his ship. The ship was sailing into the harbour, maybe after the war. The war is won. There's a celebration waiting at the harbour, but sadly the captain is dead, and so his soldiers mourn for him. There is sadness because the captain did not get to enjoy the victory he died to secure. But Jesus, our captain, died for the battle and rose to life for the victory. Jesus, our captain, is unstoppable. He is the captain whom we will all follow. Let me close with a prayer for us. O captain, my captain, I follow you today until the end of the ages. Give me your grace and help me to keep this promise I make to you today for your glory's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. God bless.
I see you soon at our Zoom meeting.